Welcome to Frontlines, a weekly podcast produced by Legion Magazine, Canada's leading military history publication. Join us for stories and commentary on Canada's rich military past and present. I'm Stephen J. Thorne, and today we look at the last days of the Wolves of the Sea, the U-boats of the Third Reich. It was a cloudy afternoon on May 10, 1945, when four Canadian Navy ships intercepted U-889, some 250 kilometers southeast of Cape Race, Newfoundland. The patrol aircraft that discovered the steaming German submarine circled overhead. The war had been over less than a week, and all German U-boats had been ordered to cease offensive operations even before the surrender was formalized. Almost three-quarters of the U-boat crews had died during the war, an unheard of 28,000 of 40,000 men many of whom fell victim to technologies that outpaced their own. The surrender order no doubt came as bittersweet relief to many in a service that had diminished from primarily volunteer to increasingly pressed crews. To all U-boats, said Naval High Command on May 3rd, by the acceptance of unconditional surrender, all German vessels of war are to discontinue unconditionally sinkings of ships, and destruction of military and non-military installations and plants in the whole operational area of the German Navy. Violations, said the order, mean a serious offense against the express will of the Grand Admiral and will bring serious consequences on the German people. There were 156 U-boats at sea when the order came down. They were initially told to repair to Norway, unseen, under absolute security. The secret plan was to scuttle the lot to keep them out of Allied hands. While it failed to match the development of Allied sonar and long-range aircraft, the German undersea fleet had technology superior to virtually any in the world at the time. As a result, many U-boats were destroyed or damaged beyond repair by their crews' own engines in German waters during the first week of May. On May 1st, three were wrecked at Warnemund, on the Baltic coast. On May 2nd, another 32 were scuttled at Travemund, near Lübeck. On May 3rd, 39 were destroyed, 32 at Kiel and 7 at Hamburg. And on May 4th, two were scuttled in the Kiel Canal and two at Flensburg. That same day, May 4th, the Supreme Allied Commander, General Dwight D. Eisenhower, allowed German forces in Northwest Europe, including naval forces, to surrender to British Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery. Montgomery insisted that the Kriegsmarine, including the U-boat arm, surrender intact, effective the following morning. In the early hours of May 5th, German leadership issued the Regenbogen, or Rainbow Order, meaning the entire U-boat fleet was to be scuttled. Eight minutes later, the order was revoked to avoid jeopardizing the surrender negotiations. Nevertheless, dozens of boats were destroyed on May 5th, 64 on the Baltic, 23 on the North Sea coast. By May 7th, at least 195 U-boats had been scuttled. The German Naval High Command subsequently relented. Neither sink nor destroy U-boats, it said on May 8th, the day of the unconditional surrender. Only through them can hundreds of thousands of German lives be saved. At least 150 U-boats were surrendered to the Allied navies, either at sea or at their operational bases. 
the last message from Admiral Karl Donitz, their longtime commander and now Hitler's replacement as Fuhrer, was simple and direct. After an incomparably heroic struggle, you have laid down your arms, he signaled on May 10th. You have accomplished unheard of deeds. You still have to offer to your fatherland the greatest sacrifice of all by executing unconditionally the following instructions. Thereby, you will not be staining your honor, but by doing so, you will dispel very serious penalties for your homeland. It took two passes by an RCAF liberator before U-889's crew hoisted the black flag of surrender three days after Donuts' message. The aircraft crew was arming depth charges and setting the bomb site when the German crew gave up. The liberator stood by until the Canadian ships appeared about an hour later. Commanded by Captain Lieutenant Frederick Breuker and crewed by four officers and 44 enlisted, the vessel was to be taken to Bay Bulls, Newfoundland. But the orders changed and the Type 9C-40 U-boat, slightly larger than its predecessor, the 9C, was ordered into Shelburne, Nova Scotia, where its crew could be taken for interrogation and higher-ups could inspect the sub's new-generation hydrophone gear and acoustic torpedoes. Commissioned at Bremen, Germany, just nine months earlier, the boat itself was so new it had never fired a shot in anger. Breuger officially surrendered on May 13th off the Shelburne Whistlebuoy, 10 kilometers from the anti-submarine boom gate. He and his crew were taken off the sub and transferred to Halifax, where they were interned at the naval dockyard. The submarine was commissioned into the Royal Canadian Navy the following day. U-889 would become one of 10 U-boats allocated to the United States as part of the Tripartite Naval Commission in Berlin in November 1945. Canadian steaming crew sailed 889 into Portsmouth, New Hampshire on January 11, 1946, where the vessel was paid off by the RCN and immediately commissioned into the U.S. Navy. Further experiments were conducted on its equipment off Florida and in the Caribbean before 889 was scuttled in December 1947, one of 116 U-boats the Allies destroyed after the war. Among others taken off the East Coast was U-190, which met the Canadian frigate HMCS Victoriaville 800 kilometers off Cape Race on May 11th. The sub's crew was taken prisoner, and it was escorted into Bay Bulls under Canadian command. With two sinkings on its record, including HMCS Esquimal at a cost of 44 Canadian lives, U-190 was formally commissioned into the Royal Canadian Navy on May 19, 1945. Its first assignment was a summer 1945 tour of communities along the St. Lawrence River and the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Based in Halifax, the boat became an anti-submarine training vessel for the next year and a half. 190 was paid off on July 24, 1947. It was painted in red and yellow stripes, then towed to the spot where it had sunk a squimal off Halifax Harbor. At precisely 11 a.m. on October 21, 1947, Trafalgar Day, a spectacular light show began as the then-mighty Canadian Navy unleashed an impressive firepower display, both airborne and seaborne, sinking its former adversary in 20 minutes. U-190's periscope now resides in the Crow's Nest, a wartime officers' club that still exists in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador.
You have been listening to Frontlines. I'm Stephen J. Thorne. For this and other stories, visit legionmagazine.com frontlines. For more military history, subscribe to Legion Magazine at legionmagazine.com.